0: Yes, we are back, and what a run. VegCast. And here it is, only VegCast 101. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, the survey course, VegCast 101. Actually, of course, it is VegCast 101. If you haven't heard VegCast 100. Boy, that's uh, that's an experience. But we're back to kind of a regular-sized VegCast. Still a full menu, though. As this time out, we're going to be speaking with peace activist Cindy Sheehan, who is and has for a long time been a vegan, and she's going to be talking about the intersection of those two uh, those two ideologies or activities. Uh, She was in town recently to do a show that I was also in, Carnivores Anonymous, which I'll tell you a little bit more about in a bit. And also in that show was Cassandra Xavier, a singer who we will hear a track from a little bit later in this show. And we're also going to have a science fact, of course. This is going to be from a newly established scientific source. Uh, that I wanted to let everybody know about. And uh, so we're going to be hearing science fact about levels of arsenic in apple juice and in chicken. So all that is coming up along with some other extra stuff. And so as always, I invite you to sit back and relax and crank up your MP3 player as we deliver the 101st Okay, so Public Eye, Artists for Animals, is a group here in Philadelphia that uh, has staged various shows, including uh, Veggie Cabaret 1 and Veggie Cabaret 2, both of which uh, I was in and Dan Perraro was in. Uh, you may remember uh, some of the veg casts that arose out of those. Uh, we just did a show earlier this month called Carnivores Anonymous that uh, I was invited to MC, And uh, we had various vegan uh, celebrities in there doing different things uh, such as singing, cooking, comedy. And Cindy Sheehan uh, was also one of these people. Uh, Of course, she's known as a peace activist. She lectures uh, around the world, and uh, she gave a little talk there. I talked to her on stage, interviewed her on stage a little bit there, Uh, but uh, that wasn't enough for me. So I made an appointment to uh, grab a quick VegCast interview with her before she got out of town, and we are going to listen to that right now. Okay, right now we are sitting with Cindy Sheehan. Uh, outside Philadelphia after the Carnivores Anonymous show where she came out east. And uh, we're taking this opportunity to talk to her for VegCast. Cindy, welcome to VegCast. Thank you, Vance. And you are a vegan, and I have to say, just to start off, when I heard, oh, Cindy Sheehan is vegan, that that might be something that grew out of your activism that we're all familiar with in the middle of this uh, first decade. Uh, But hearing you last night, you actually have been vegan for far longer than that. I'm just wondering, how how do you see one of those informing or generating the other? Because obviously, I and probably other people had it kind of backwards. So Uh how did you see that happening?
1: Well, I've been vegan now. I tried to figure it out. And I think since about 1984, since, of course, my pregnancy and birth with my fourth child. And she was born in 85. But anyway, um, my initial reason for becoming a vegan were were moral and compassionate, out of love for um, animals. And so I've always been this way. I've always been like a champion for people who have no rights or whose voices are very uh, muted in society. And of course, animals have no voices in our society. When my children were a little older, I I was a Catholic youth minister, and I got fired from that job because I was an outspoken advocate for the teens. Uh, believe it or not, I was outspoken, <laughs> and I've always had a problem with authority, authoritarian authority. And so, um, I've always had this place in my heart for people who are marginalized or oppressed um, in our societies, and whether that's animals or young people or or people of color in faraway lands that our our nations uh, bombing right now. And it was just very strange that my son even joined the army because we weren't that kind of a family at all. And. He um, was, you know, an Eagle Scout, an altar server, you know, very faithful, a very wonderful um, kid, member of our family, young man. But, you know, he wanted a university education, and he thought that that, that joining the military would be the best way to get that without putting any more undue financial stress on our family. And so since Casey's been killed. My, um, you know, very family-oriented, community-oriented activism has, of course, become now um, international. And I, f- I figured, I figured out in the last seven years of activism that, you know, uh, Barack, uh, not Barack Obama. You know, I get Bush and Obama confused. <laughs> <laughs> I say the wrong one. I know. I say the wrong one all the time. That the Bush administration and the Iraq Afghanistan war, even 9/11, you know, they weren't aberrations. They weren't anomalies in our history. They're they're just a continuation of of the way this <clears throat> this country started. And so, I, I mean, the, the very first victims of, of U.S. imperialism, even before it was the U.S., of course, were were the first people, our indigenous population here. So I began to uh, identify that the Bush administration our current wars you know weren't the problem. they were just a problem and and the problem is even more class-based and that's why animals are you know executed for our uh, for some people's dining um, pleasure if you want to call it that. And that's why my son joined the military because you know, education from preschool to university should be free and accessible to everybody, not just the children of the wealthy. And they're making it harder and harder and harder to access these kinds of things. So now our children are joining the military for education benefits, for health benefits, for a job, you know, so so it, it is it's a class war. And the people on the other side of the class division know this, and that's why they, they can be so effective in using their propaganda and manipulations and, and divisions against us.
0: Okay. Well, so you, you had basically this kind of small-town activism where you were just trying to do good you know, in your own life and your own circle, and then that expanded outward. Uh, in 2005 with mm-hmm. Camp Casey right. at Crawford, Texas. And those of us who were following that at the time didn't know, you know, you were a vegan. Now looking mm-hmm. back, knowing that you were camping out there the whole time yeah. as a vegan just makes it even more of a, a stunningly stubborn <laughs> thing uh-huh. to do because I, you know, I, I don't like to go far outside the city limits of philadelphia Mm -hmm. to have to worry about where i'm going to find vegan food but you were saying you had to subsist on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for a while, right
1: well just about and even in crawford texas they don't they don't have a market there they have like this mini mart so it's just junk food basically and so it was very difficult and it's very difficult you know, as a traveler to be uh, to be a vegan, I was just in Japan for two weeks and I lost four pounds. And people have this idea that Japan's like this this vegetarian oasis, and it's not. They they consume a lot of meat, and everything's mixed up with the meat and the dairy so, and gluten. And I'm gluten free too, which even complicates things even more. And so it is. It's it's a lot. It's it's a lot harder when I'm at home. It's super duper easy, you know, to this lifestyle. When I'm away, it, it becomes more challenging. And and the longer I've I've traveled, the more I'm able to to stay on it to learn, you know, tricks of the trade in Japan. I basically had to shop every day at 7-Eleven for food. <laughs> Believe it or not, there's like a 7-Eleven on every corner in Japan. And they have fresh uh, fruits and vegetables and, you know, rice, crackers Mm -hmm. and, you know, other things like that. So I I rarely went out to eat. When I got back to Tokyo, it was all the 7-Eleven. Oh, as a matter of fact, I think I might write uh, an expanded article called Eating Vegan in Gas Stations or something like that because I just went on a tour down the coast of California, and, and many times that's what I had to do too—is the mini mart in right. the gas station, and and make a healthy vegan meal out of it.
0: Yeah, they they usually have sunflower seeds, so there's
1: pumpkin seeds, you know. <laughs> we um, we can we can we can um, it's it's. Some people think, "Oh my gosh, that's so that subsistence is whatever." But you know, it's not. It, it's a, it's a healthy, more freeing lifestyle right. when you're when you're like this, and and even though it seems like it's a challenge, it's it's, it's actually easier to do.
0: Okay. Well, I wanted to get into something that uh, you'd said on stage at Carnivores Anonymous when I was asking about. whether people on the left seem to be intrinsically more receptive, less receptive, or the same in terms of the vegan message um, as people on the right. And you made a a different kind of distinction that I'd like if you could just uh, expound on that a little between the anti-war.
1: Oh, okay, 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 okay. there are, I think there are two factions in my movement, and there's the anti-war faction, and it, and it seems, unfortunately, that 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 uh, faction is many times compromised, and it's mostly, they mostly have a political agenda, and their political agenda is to favor Democrats. So I sometimes call them the anti-Republican War movement. Unfortunately, there's no anti-democratic war movement because the people, you know, on the right, the Republicans, whatever that means anymore. <laughs> so many of our labels don't even, to me, have any meaning anymore. You know, they support war. They they think that Obama's not bloodthirsty enough, which is amazing to me because he's in more wars than, than we've been and even in World War, since World War II. And then there's the peace movement. And the peace movement is the movement that they're the people who have been involved their entire lives. I've met some people in this movement who resisted. They were they were uh, draft resistors in World War II. So these are 90-year-old men who, they're the ones that get arrested, you know, at doing Central American activism. You know, they're with the, the Barragans and they're with... You know, um, sometimes they have a, a Christian affiliation. You know, sometimes they don't. But but anyway, they, they have connected the dots more. They're the ones who keep their income below a certain level so they don't have to pay taxes. They're war tax resistors. They're people who don't, don't just go once or twice a year to a protest and carry a sign their entire lives. And they're the ones that would tend to be vegetarian and vegan Mm -hmm. because they're doing it they have a humanistic agenda not a political agenda like the anti-war movement does right and i i hope that i i would um be considered a a member of uh, the peace movement
0: okay well in terms of doing activism um you seem to be kind of tireless in doing things that that need to be done uh and there's a lot of um, talk within the vegan movement or the vegan movements about we shouldn't be spending our time on this. We should be spending it on that. You guys are wasting your time. You're detracting from. Come and do what we're doing. No, this right, is more important. Right, right. And meanwhile, in the <clears throat> in the larger picture, there are uh, people involved in rights struggles who will say, Why are you, you know, active? Uh, protesting and demonstrating for the animals when there are humans who need this and you're somebody who's is out there kind of doing all that how do you reconcile this concept that there's just a finite amount of time and we have to concentrate on one thing especially when people who are concentrating on one thing come and say to you you know why are you spending your time on this when you should spend it on that well
1: uh that i have that a lot and you know, people they get so parochial about <laughs> what they're doing, and you know, they get they get so intense. And and you know, if you're not investing all your time in the 9/11 truth movement or ending the Fed movement or Ron Paul for president, <laughs> then you're wasting your time and you know stuff like that. And I think that that uh, one great thing about being in the place that we are, is that there's a lot of um, really good uh, thinkers. We think for ourselves. There's a lot of really amazing intellectual uh, thought and dialogue. So it's it's harder for us, I think, to to uh, rally around just one thing and focus because you know we are able to expand our horizons. But, you know, what works and what doesn't work is that we have to always, I, I think what doesn't work is, you know, bashing our heads up against the system, what I call the robber class systems, is fighting them head on. They, they have all the advantages. They have all the weapons. They have all the, the media. They have all the money. So I think, um, and many movements are doing this parallel movement to create new healthy systems. And it's it's really taking that old cliche as to think global and act local. And I think localization movements, especially in the food and vegan movements, are more effective because we're stressing that you need to um, consume Consume food that is that's grown as close to you as possible, or, or you know, made to you as close as possible. And so that's you know healthy for the environment, healthy for our diets, healthy for our communities. And so I think that we need to put our efforts in into more um, creating new and healthy systems for okay. ourselves and, and just let those systems die because they're dying. You know, this empire, we are observers of the end of the United States empire. And when it falls, it one of two things that happen. It can crush us or we can survive. And if we're busy creating our healthy systems, our, our own food production, our own energy production as much as we can, you know, our own uh, forms of trade and um, using our resources, then we have not only uh, a chance of survival but thriving mm-hmm. through the end of the... It's going to be rough, like it's been rough. We, you can, like, parallel it to the end of the Soviet Union except I think that went a lot faster than than ours is going to go. So it's it's a very exciting um, time uh, to live in. I don't ever get discouraged or depressed because, you know, the sun comes up every day and gives us an opportunity to make things better.
0: Okay. Well, uh, we're about out of time, but if people want to follow up on this, you have a, uh, you have a blog that has you do your own podcast mm-hmm. or radio or mm-hmm. whatever it is and uh, can you give that address <clears throat> now
2: yes
1: so- my um everything can be found at cindy she hands my once a week uh, radio show i have i still call it a radio show it's it's on many stations around the country but mm-hmm. it, it, you can download it or listen to it on the on the um, computer from my website, Cindy Sheehan Soapbox, my blog, Cindy Sheehan Soapbox, is there. Um, I have five books. I'm in the process of finishing my sixth one called Revolution, a Love Story, so those can be ordered. My, my fifth book, Myth America. Twenty Greatest Myths of the Robber Class and the Case for Revolution. It's my class analysis and strategies for creating healthy systems. It's kind of like I like to call it my woman manifesto, not a manifesto, but a woman okay. festo And that is free if people want to send me an email at cindy@cindysheehansoapbox.com. At I'd be happy to um, give them a, a free copy of that PDF.
0: Okay, and we'll be sure to have those links in our show notes so people can click and follow up uh, find out more and hopefully do something uh, about helping to create these healthy systems that we're going to need Uh,
1: i mean and and it's better to do it now and and you know have them already in place and to yeah, in our in our concrete jungles, you know, getting a jackhammer and digging up your driveway so you can you can <laughs> right. grow crops, and you know, uh, three or four months later you might have a zucchini. Right. So <laughs> it's better to start right now, that's for sure. And uh, I and and it's very encouraging, and I want to encourage your listeners because I I've traveled now in probably seventy cities with this message, and there are people you know, working at it right now. And the important thing I think thing to do is to link all of the movements together that are happening in um, communities, to, mm-hmm. to create community, to to get away from the stratification that the robber class wants us to be in. They right. want us to be in our own little pods, not, not creating community, not building community, not realizing that we have more in common with each other than we do with Who's sitting in the White House? No matter what right. you know, party affiliation they have.
0: Right. Okay. Well, Cindy Sheehan, uh, I appreciate you're about to leave town. You made time for this. So I have to say, I really appreciate your taking the time to talk with us on VegCast.
1: Well, thank you. It was it was great to be here, and it was great to be out there. Carnivores Anonymous last night and I think we might have a convert. I think my friend John Gould might yep. might be all right, well every time all he worthwhile. takes a, takes a bite of meat, I think he's gonna choke on it. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. Now, <laughs> That's uh, And so, you know, one person at a time.
0: All right. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Cassandra Xavier, with Confide in Me. You can find out more about her at her website, Cassandrazavier.com. And I'm going to spell that for you, even though you can just go to the show notes and click on it. But if you don't happen to be near a computer right now or on uh, VegCast.com, that's fine. It is www.C-A-S-S-E-N-D-R-E-X-A-V-I. IER.com. And uh, you can find out more about Cassandra there, hear more tunes. And again, she was uh, one of our featured guests in Carnivores Anonymous. And now we're going to turn our attention, as we always do, to the science. Our science fact this time around will be from a new source. ...of scientific information that I wanted to tip you all to. It's called NutritionFacts.org, and it is hosted and compiled by Dr. Michael Greger, a VegCast fave, as our longtime listeners know. Uh, but if you only know him from his VegCast appearances, where he's uh, talked about, you know, preferring one vegan cheese over another, or pretending to be an expert in hedgehog diseases... Uh, you really should check out NutritionFacts.org, where Dr. Greger, the informed man of science, is on view and is answering questions, is providing data and providing analysis. And just to kick that off, uh, I'm going to this one time read one of his posts about a scientific study and about a current controversy. But uh, he's going to be doing... This all year, he's going to be putting up a new video on some nutrition study every single day for a year. So that's something that deserves to be heralded and noted, and it also uh, provides us with this science fact, uh, which takes off from the recent brouhaha uh, that Dr. Oz created when he warned parents not to feed their kids apple juice because it turns out that it contains arsenic and we will pick that up right there from uh... the blog on nutrition facts as follows Dr. Oz is right to be concerned about arsenic contamination in our food supply. According to scientists from the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health and the Environmental Protection Agency, quote, arsenic is a human carcinogen and is also associated with increased risks of several non-cancer endpoints, including cardiovascular disease, diabetes, neuropathy, and neurocognitive deficits in children, unquote. Last week, the Dr. Oz Show released independent lab reports finding as much as 36 parts per billion of arsenic in apple juice. USDA researchers, however, have estimated that chicken may harbor as much as 430 parts per billion. And since Americans consume three times more chicken than apple juice, chicken may represent 30 times the arsenic risk of apple juice. And Dr. Gregor continues to say that the arsenic in apple juice is thought to come from arsenic-containing pesticides still in use in countries such as China. But how did arsenic get into the chicken? The poultry industry fed it to them. Every year, about 2 million pounds of arsenic-containing chemicals have been fed to chickens in the United States. Why would the industry do such a thing? Well, When tens of thousands of birds are crammed into filthy football field-sized sheds to lie beak-to-beak in their own waste, they can become so heavily infested with internal parasites that adding arsenic to the feed to poison the bugs can result in a dramatic increase in growth rates. Also, arsenic can give the carcass a pinkish tinge, which consumers prefer. Though arsenic-based Feed additives have been banned in Europe for over a decade. They continue to be legal in the United States. One drug company did announce this summer, though, that it has suspended sales to poultry companies after the FDA found concerning levels of a particularly toxic form of arsenic in edible tissues of chicken given feed laced with the arsenic-containing drug. Based on the USDA estimates of arsenic levels in the, U- in the United States' chicken supply, the prestigious medical letter on the Centers for Disease Control and the Food and Drug Administration concluded, quote, "...chicken consumption may contribute significant amounts of arsenic to total arsenic exposure of the U.S. population. Levels of arsenic in chicken are so high that other sources may have to be monitored carefully to prevent undue toxic exposure among the population." And so we come full circle, and it turns out that Dr. Oz was right, and it is a bad idea to feed your child or uh, apple juice uh, that may contain arsenic because they're already getting so much arsenic from chicken that that could just put them right over the edge. And we will have, of course, the link to Nutrition Facts, as well as the link to the peer-reviewed study mentioned in this post on VegCast.com and for now that's going to do it and we'll be back next time with another science fact Uh, two quick details about that science fact I should have made it clear uh, that the blog post ended before I said that uh, we've come full circle Dr. Uh, Oz was right and so forth that was my own little commentary after that Uh, That was not part of uh, Dr. Greger's original, Uh, so I hope that is cleared up. And also, speaking of nutrition facts and Dr. Greger, uh, both made an appearance in my recent V for Veg column, the vegan column that I do for the Philadelphia Daily News. This one, uh, Dr. Greger appeared as an expert on kale chips and not just the nutritional content of Kale chips versus potato chips, which is a salient detail, but also an expert on uh, making them. And hopefully, I'll I'll put the link in the show notes, and hopefully, you can check that out and maybe make some yourself and taste this delightfully, deliciously, nutritious treat. The other thing uh, that I want to mention before we go is uh, back in VegCast ninety three. You heard Laura Theodore, the Jazzy Vegetarian, singing You Got the Love. And I want to let everybody know that Laura Theodore is now going to be appearing in her own TV show on public television uh, entitled The Jazzy Vegetarian. It's a cooking show. Hopefully she'll get some of her music in there as well. But either way, we'll have a link in the show notes where you can go and uh, look that up and uh, find your local affiliate and find where you can see The Jazzy Vegetarian, and now our show notes are just going to be so overloaded, so maxed out that we have no choice but to get out of here. I want to thank my guest, Cindy Sheehan, for being on VegCast as well as being in Philadelphia at all to do the Carnivores Anonymous show. That was a lot of fun. And also Cassandra Xavier for giving us permission to play her song, Confide in Me. And I also want to thank Dr. Michael Greger for doing the site, NutritionFacts.org, and for giving us permission to read his blog post, which I assume he will do once he finds out that... I did that. Uh, next time around in October, don't miss it. We're going to have a lowdown on Veg, the new exciting vegan restaurant in Philadelphia. And until then, get out there and live like you mean it.
2: Veg. Veg.